0: Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast, Episode 41. What is G really?
1: Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health.
0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today again, once again, with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today?
1: Uh, pretty good. Just recovering from the Christmas and New Year holidays and I don't know, the snow and my snowblower broke this morning, so I've been shoveling my self to, I don't know, <laughs> my cardio is done for the week.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, for those of you who are in uh, part of the world uh, where there's not a whole lot of snow, um, we're actually... Catching up to you. It's a pretty pretty crappy day out there, and it's kind of a wet rain. And the lovely snow is actually disappearing.
1: Yeah, we got like two and a half feet in the last month. So living where I do, it's you know, you can't wait for it to melt. You got to move it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the uh, the holidays uh, we're just coming out of that. Uh, it is 2018. Happy <sighs> New Year, Michael. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Yeah. Um, do you have a good sort of time off? Did you take time off?
1: Uh, for the most part, yeah. And honestly, I did what most people do.
0: <laughs> Sit around and listen to podcasts?
1: Uh, that. Uh, d- did some reading and research, uh, writing and research, uh, but did the fun partying, feasting, craziness with everybody else, which usually I don't. Usually I'm more of a kind of a hermit, so I got to do a bit of the hermit thing I like to do, but uh, I also got to have some really great social fun, so that Good. was a great time. How about you?
0: Uh, well, I managed to uh, eat myself sick <laughs> and uh, had a uh, very mild um, occurrence of uh, canker sores show oh, up. really? Oh yeah what a drag what a pain in the mouth that is <laughs> 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 amongst other places and um, of all the times that I've had it it was one of the mildest so I'm very grateful for that.
1: And I just feel compelled given what we're actually here to do for serving our listeners. If you get canker sores or aphthous ulcers as they're called try and remind yourself that that's happening to probably a third of the uh, upper part of your small intestine so just take that as a really like loud dashboard light for maybe fasting would be good
0: <laughs> yeah fasting and uh don't eat as much tahini or yeah, anything
1: yeah like omega-6 uh inflammatory or turns out orange juice
0: yeah well in my case it might have been like not tahini uh, what is that stuff uh halva Oh Yeah, I kind of overdid that, and some almond roca, and a whole bunch of other things that I thought were, oh, these are pretty harmless, right? Oh, I okay. can eat 18 of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> one way to find out. Yeah, one way to find out. And <laughs> um, uh, true to fashion, uh, the sores came, and they went, and I'm probably about 98% better, Great. which is good, because I'm actually here using my pie hole here as a, as a tool for the day, right. <laughs> so I'm not actually talking around like this, because I can't move my lips. All oh, right. I've had days like that in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of stinks. But anyways, uh, other than that, uh, holidays were good. I uh, did a whole lot of nothing, a uh, little bit of binge watching on the old Netflix uh, podcasts, some reading, mm-hmm. and uh, just generally hanging out, which was very good. Uh, coming into 2018, do you do you res- resolutions or anything like that? Uh, Not in
1: the way where I try and commit to like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to go to the gym five times a week or something like that. Um, Just because my life is kind of a fairly consistent I don't know, the, the background music of how I organize my life was pretty consistent, but uh, usually what I focus on more, and I have a lot of fun with uh, this year especially, has more to do with the feeling tone uh, about my sense of state or sense of attitude as I approach, you know, getting to the gym when I choose to, or, you know, would like to, when I choose not to have that twelfth piece of, piece of, what is a half a lot you said? <laughs> It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Or those things, because then, um, I guess with the, because we're going to be talking about qi and qi gong today, one thing that's really hard to get people to to notice and commit to and be consistent about is their state. Hmm. Because, you know, we all spend a lot of time, uh, and I'm going to say this because this is how I speak to a lot of my patients about the resolution thing is, if the state of mind you have around changing your life, especially in a positive way, sounds like an argument in your head i have to ask you something how many arguments have you ever had that ended not feeling like an argument Hmm. whereas if you stop and say oh my god look i'm in an argument maybe i could shift that away from the argument mode of state and communication and expectation to maybe a more conscious sense of communication or listening to yourself or like having the subtlety of a psychotherapist ask yourself why am I saying that that way in my head? Mm. And then when you kind of deconstruct the the habit, the impatience, the, I mean, everybody's white knuckling it, man. I mean, you walk around town, you got white knuckle everybody to just not smoke or not drink or not have coffee or not binge your cheesecake or whatever you're, you're down with, right? And it's that white knuckled thing that is the burnout. Because if you relax your hands and realize not all conversations that matter are arguments. In fact, very few are. Hmm. So by shifting, sh- shifting the state in the, of the mind away from an internal dialogue that's argumentative to an, or, an internal dialogue that's very quiet, very quiescent, very conscious, very compassionate, very patient, and honestly, the most important thing, if there's any addiction going on with anybody, the curiosity of, well, what's going to happen? What, what can, what's going to happen for another day, another week? Like, let's just see. Hmm. I know the result if I go back to lifestyle... 2017. So nothing new there. And in fact, it's probably going to feel, you know, some shame and some, you know, resentment and, you know, self, you know, punitive thinking if I go back to that. So it's even worse than what it used to be. Right. Right. So why not just shift the the mode of inquiry or the way we look at it as maybe it doesn't have to be an impatient, serious, white knuckled argument. It could be a gentle kind of reaching towards the light switch in the dark. Like what will happen if? What will happen if, and in that state, you get to find out.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I think I take a, a maybe a similar approach. I don't know if it's um, along the same lines or not, but New Year's for me in terms of resolutions uh, has never been, I'm going to lose weight. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not this guy. No, <laughs> I need to find some first before I could lose it. Um, it's never been any of those sort of um, stereotypical kind of uh, resolutions, but it's always been... Uh, Coming into the new year is just an opportunity to sort of really uh, get quiet and look in the mirror Mm -hmm. uh, and see whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, It's almost like um, on a long-distance driving trip, driving for so long, and then all of a sudden going, oh, yeah, wait, uh, I don't remember the last 50 miles that I was driving because I was totally zoned out, and just coming back into focus again and realizing Mm -hmm. where I am.
1: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, coming back to your awareness. Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, for me, uh, this year, it's focus around uh, how it is I do whatever it is I do for work. Mm Um, And how it is that I'm actually living my life because work for me doesn't really feel like, you know, it's not like I'm swinging a hammer or doing anything really physically uh, challenging work for me is kind of play. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how do I want to make things happen this year? And what feels um, what feels like it doesn't fit anymore? And, um, sort of like, you know, standing at the edge of the cliff and jumping off and going, hmm, wonder what's going to happen before I land, <laughs> you know, yeah,
1: my mind is sort of tracked over to the Chinese new year. Cause it's going to be what we call the earth dog or the yellow dog year. And the year of the dog really has mostly to do with, uh, process and like progress and learning, but mm-hmm. also loyalty.
0: Right. right. And so for the, for the sake of our <laughs> listeners and our viewers, you know, Chinese astrology, year of the earth dog actually this year mm-hmm. um well earth is yellow yeah so. uh so that happens in february i, can't yeah, I think remember.
1: it's february the 18th this year
0: yeah it's whenever the
1: new moon tracks closest to february the fourth which is from a solar calendar uh, perspective, the first day of spring
0: mm-hmm. yeah and uh, chinese astrology has a completely different perspective than um uh, i guess is it western astrology I think Western
1: astrology is mostly about planets, although I don't really know much about it uh, and the stars and constellations and stuff, which I probably sound like a two-year-old saying that, <laughs> but um, Chinese astrology is way, way simpler in a way because it's really just based on consistent predictive cycles, mm-hmm. you know, 12 years, 60 years, and all these sort of lunar and solar Things that are in fold over. I mean, if you actually just look at the the calendar year, not the astrological year, there's over sixty seasons to it.
2: Hmm.
1: So, uh, but there's twelve animals, and everybody's born in the year of an animal, and there's five elements. So five times twelve is sixty, and then it gets even more convoluted than that if you get picky.
2: Right. <clears throat>
1: but um, so I was born in the year of the monkey. How about you? Uh, same. Right. Well, that's right. We're pretty much the same age. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for most people, the year of the dog typically is just, um, you know, can you keep going with your pack? Can you be good friends with your pack? Can you be a good mentor, teacher, or guide? And are you loyal to the people in your life? And when it comes to the element of earth, um, that has the most to do with grounded connectedness in the sense of relating to people. So I would just say 2018 is, are you committed to your people your process yourself and are you loyal
0: Mm -hmm. well and and uh, And,
1: sorry and are you deeply connected or available to being deeply connected
0: right well when you say loyal there that's the real key word for me in the way that i see it uh it's uh almost like the energy of the year Mm -hmm. Uh, am i loyal to what i've been loyal to
1: yeah and can you be loyal to your deepest truest self
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean i guess every year for me is kind of a year of it you're the dog then, because I think about that every, every, every January the 1st or whenever, whenever it comes around. It just sort of seems to happen that it's kind of like, oh, well, what have we been doing? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. I think that's a self-employed thing. It's a dog's life. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is, eh? Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, it, acc- it just occurred to me that there might be some new people listening here. Oh, yeah. Uh, because this is the time of year when people make all kinds of resolutions mm-hmm. around health and that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, so if you're a new listener to this podcast, uh, Fusion Health Radio is something that Michael and I have been doing for two years
1: year and a half maybe feels like forever (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna take that karmic barb out
0: (sighs) (laughs) and um i sit down and uh ask michael all kinds of questions about whatever it is that he's questioning himself uh and uh i think topics have ranged from everything from i think we started off with how much water should you drink every day to uh things about uh, mindfulness and meditation to uh all oh, kinds of yeah. how
1: kung fu relates to healing how native wisdom can still help people in the modern world so
0: yeah um so if you're uh really curious to invest in your health uh, congratulations first off and mm-hmm. uh, second of all uh, take a look at all the other uh, podcasts that we've put out there um today we're talking about chi mm-hmm. and uh Before we came to the microphones today, Michael was like, oh, I've never had this conversation before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've never had it either. (laughs) (laughs) So that makes two of us. Well, actually, I've had most of this
1: conversation probably a thousand times, but there's a part of this conversation I've never had before. So I'm super excited to see if I can pull it off because as we're going to dive into gradually bit by bit, Chinese as a language and as a way of experiencing reality and English as a language and you know, filter for reality, they're pointing in really different directions. So it's going to be kind of fun to see if I can pull a quantum physics I don't know, rabbit out of the hat of English.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, before we get too far, <laughs> yeah, let's leave that to... until everyone's like well, yeah. well marinated in the whole idea. <laughs> before we jump up right off into the deep end, yeah, <laughs> um, maybe we should start off with I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who may have heard the word chi, mm-hmm. and um, there's probably just as many, maybe even more that don't even know what chi is. So let's start there. Chi is C-H-I. Uh, it's usually spelled C-H-I or Q-I. Right. Uh, C-H-I is sort of the more
1: um, sort of standard American way of doing it because there's, there's two different standards for writing Chinese words in English. And the older one uh, that was kind of thrown together was the one that's C-H-I, uh, but in the more modern, I don't know, scholarly version, it's Q-I, but it's pronounced exactly the same. Right. Uh, In Japanese, it's ki. I can't remember Korean, but probably something like that. The idea of chi or the context of chi is that um, there's something going on in life that we can't see. And that obviously uh, there's things that can change that we can't see uh, that can produce health or produce illness. So... Chinese medicine being you know at least 5,000 years old and pretty scholarly 5,000 years in the sense of writing and being very empirical and uh, relatively scientific in the sense of what we think of as science, has been spending thousands of years going, what in the world is going on below what we can see on the sense of phenomena? That limits uh, health or lifespan or causes illness because they didn't get into microscopes for a very long time, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, a lot of us can sit back and go, yeah, that makes them stupid, you know, or you could say, well, that makes their relationship with reality maybe not that literal because, you know, when you really get into the the lego molecule version of reality i mean it's very knowable it's right there i mean people can take pictures and explain how many atoms it, or electrons it's got spinning in what direction kind of thing whereas the chinese language of the chinese mind is so much more associative and uh, under the umbrella of nature governing the universe kind of thing that the assumption is that it's all supposed to work the way it's supposed to work and you know we can just uh affirm things at this point you know and look, I mean, it, honestly, Chinese medicine, on average, has been about two thousand years ahead of Western medicine, around dissections and concepts and and things that actually like guide the the practice of medicine. I'm not saying that to say my dad's bigger than your dad, but <coughs> sorry, okay, I just realized we're on camera and we have to cut that whole thing up. You just might. <clears throat> <laughs> hmm. So, um, so again, with you know. The idea of science being a certain thing in the, the Chinese mind thousands of years ago and then, the you know, the modern Western mind of science being very literal, uh, it, it makes it hard to, to translate because the most common translation is energy. And that's not, I think, a bad, bad one, except it affords people the perception that it's actually something literally there in the sense of it being a noun. Cause I mean, I love the idea of, chi. when I was getting into martial arts as a kid and I think I'd seen a Star Wars movie or something and the idea of the force and, you know, you could heal people, you could kick butt, you know, you could be better at swinging nunchucks around your head or something like that. So, um, there was just a part of me as a young man going into that kind of paradigm of reality going like, wow, how do you cultivate that? And this is maybe going to discredit me, but I had a couple of experiences growing up in the bush without TV and radio and stuff when you had nothing else to do they were very tangible uh, experiences um, uh, in, sense of, in the sense of sense experience and memory that for me affirmed that there's a lot going on in the sense of being connected to and communing with or being energetically met by nature or feeling things. I don't know, and i probably explaining detailed stories of just digging deeper into the pit of this guy's a lunatic, but <laughs> having had some experiences that I couldn't really explain uh, in any other way or that other people didn't really speak to. And then as a young teenager getting into the, those things, I mean, I've spent my entire life fascinated by the, what if there is something really fundamentally deeply underlying all of this that we can actually influence in some way, hmm. you know, with practice, with meditation, with Qigong, with, uh, with whatever else, if it's your Chinese herbs or something that you're taking to resolve a problem. And it's all based on this sort of fundamental sense that there's some organizing aspect to all this that we can't measure. Hmm. And um, that's the idea of chi. There's something going on, and I don't like the idea of something because, again, we get back to the literal, uh, where is it, and can I put it in a petri dish and poke it with something, right?
0: Would you you be able to describe it as something... Uh, Instead of saying it's something going on, it's the influence going on. It's the thing that.
1: Well, I used to use that word when I was teaching
0: Chinese medicine,
1: actually, is I would call the qi, it would be easier to translate qi as either influence or uh, transformation or circulation or communication or things like that, which we'll get back to. Um, But yeah, it's just trying to get it out of, I would try to reach into people's minds and loosen up the idea that there's this stuff you can stuff into places and have more of it or run out.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the way I understood it, um, this is an explanation that I sort of made up a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can reason this out. Um, picture this. You're walking down the street. You walk by your neighbor's yard. Neighbor's yard has a fence. Inside that fenced yard is a very large dog who really is aggressive, and the dog's barking its brains out, and um, I'm on the other side of the fence, but I can feel the influence that that dog has towards me, the aggression that the dog has towards me. Um, is a very palpable, palpable thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, you know, still, even though I'm on the, on the, on the safe side of the fence away from that dog, um, I can still feel that energy. If yeah. You will.
1: And, and that's, that's the tricky part is when we do the air quotes thing, we all realize it's not the literal word energy, like gasoline. We're talking about the feel of an angry dog. And honestly, the feel of an angry dog is going to be primarily, um, Magnified by your reaction to angry dogs. I mean, some people might want to take selfies. Other people might want to pee their pants, <laughs> <laughs> or both. Or both. <laughs> no judgment. No, I'm just now stuck with that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> a
0: little bit of mental floss here. Yeah, <laughs> mental floss.
1: <laughs> Clean it up.
0: Um, but once I, uh, you know, so so I I I've had a sense of what that chi is in my own way without it really understanding it through um, any reading or conversations with guys like you who have more of a conversation around it Mm
1: -hmm. Um, i guess i guess but when it comes to like the idea of practicing acupuncture and and how acupuncture works mm -hmm. it's hard for your average lab coat wearing scientist to to go yeah the affirmation of what the energy of angry dogs is to you you're putting needles in my ass to fix my kidneys what
0: (laughs) (laughs) it loses something in the translation for chinese (laughs) just tell them that um Okay, so if that's uh, the idea of influence or transformation or uh, energy is loosely um, the idea of chi, have we sort of explained it in a way that uh, you want to carry on and and, and talk more about that?
1: Uh, Well, I think I just want to preference the conversation in, in a couple of ways. Sure um so as a communicator i'm often you know aware that i don't want to waste my time doing what i'm doing and i want to make sure that the people that i'm speaking to are spoken to in the best possible way for them so anytime i'm having a conversation about what she is about um let's say 75 percent of the time i'm talking to people studying chinese medicine Right. And twenty five percent of the time, I'm talking to naturopaths and medical doctors, and no chiropractors, osteopaths, and everybody else, uh, even psychiatrists, nurses. Uh, if I'm teaching functional medicine. Sometimes it comes up, so I'm I'm aware that what that conversation is about is very very different, and in a way, very very powerful, but in very different ways. So. The concern I have with this when I'm talking to people who practice Chinese medicine is Chinese terminology is the hardest thing for people in the Western world to deal with with respect to Chinese medicine, because if you go to your acupuncturist, your you know Chinese medicine doctor, and they tell you that you have damp heat and deficiency and uh, upper dryness, lower turbidity, and something else, you know, wind coming out of your elbow with phlegm. A, just throwing this together to make a point so that's
0: you just made that up I just that, that
1: doesn't ever happen like that exactly but <laughs> <laughs> there's somebody some Chinese medicine doctor now, going I'm what no the doctor. heck
0: I'm no doctor but you just made that <laughs> up. I just made it up so
1: the the psychology underlying this if, if I'm a clinician and I ask my patient who I don't know they're a heavy duty mechanic and have no interest in all this stuff I have now created two potential conditions One is that person now has to dissociate from the rational way that they typically approach their problems and try and just sort of, you know, like horror movies where you just sort of suspend disbelief for a bit, Mm -hmm. um, as they're taking their herbs and getting their acupuncture and doing their Qigong and changing their diet. And in their mind, there's a part of them going, yeah, I guess I'm dealing with some bad weather in my stuff with the damp and the dry and the wind and the whatever, and there's a psychological kind of dissociation and kind of being on eggshells or being in a mildly anticipatory or uh, almost apprehensive state going like, God, I hope these people know what they're talking about because I have no way to have that terminology land in myself. Right? right. Possibility number two, just as dangerous uh, for me in, as a clinician, but in a completely different way. And my humor belies that I'm kind of a Twit, I do stand-up comedy and make fun of people sometimes. So, if this sounds like I'm making fun of you, it's meant to be funny. Eh, make fun, make funny. <laughs> so let's take your average, really wide-eyed hippie who comes into a Chinese medicine office, who's done some reading, who's <clears throat> excuse me, totally down with the yoga, the qigong, the meditation, you know, and all the other things. And they come in, and they're already in a kind of um, let's just say that they're. Uh, making some pretty potent associations about things that may or may not really be real, you know, in in their life, and that's sustaining them in a way, you know. So they're, they're kind of in like an air balloon a little bit. So they come in and they get their, their dampness, their wind, their yin, their yang, their, you know, liver stuck or whatever. And you can see almost like a little flush of red come into their cheeks. Oh, it's so cool. That's what's wrong with me. It's all my inner weather stuff. And I'm not making of it it's just it's basically chinese medicine is the terminology is shorthand for a lot of actual physiology but if you take someone who's already dissociating towards attaching themselves to fluffy ideas Mm -hmm. that they have taken literally in a way that now they have it's concrete to them i have yin deficiency and dampness i've got to change my whole life it's all my parents fault or whatever now we've basically given this people fuel for the fire of a direction of their life that may get them into some really weird places, hmm. right? And I'm being a bit cynical in both directions to make to make a point, basically, because that's the polarization of of how people would respond to interacting with Chinese medicine: is I either suspend the disbelief that these people know what they're talking about because they're using terminology that makes no sense to me as a Western-trained person, or I finally have a context in which to completely leave the rational world behind. And again, I'm exaggerating this as far as I can to make a point. Hmm. Most people just show up and say, "Yeah, whatever, dude. Give me my herbs and make me better." They don't care. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to that kind of terminology, you can either exaggerate it and end up in a certain place where it could be dangerous. Especially with qigong, and you decide you're going to force all your qi into your head, like the kundalini thing, and then that can go bad. I mean, there's books on psychiatry and kundalini. For how rapidly people can go insane forcing these energetic states, right? Mm. So again, I'm just aware that if you take this literally and try and run with it in a way that could be dangerous. Or if you're getting treatments based on some paradigm of management of energy systems that you don't really buy into, and you're spending money and you're relying on this, but you're actually on the inside of your head, in the attic of your mind, chewing your fingernails, going, I can't believe I'm wasting my time and money because this stuff is just crap. Right, So if you don't get it, you're not going to get much out of it. Right. If you exaggerate what you think you, you're getting out of it, you might take it over the top and kind of crash your plane a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: So for me as an educator of clinicians, it's trying to bring it down onto the ground where
2: <clears throat>
1: the people who want to see this from a shamanic point of view can, can see that and still fit into the actual natural world as it is. The people who want to see this, which we'll get into in the quantum physics sense of the world, they should have a good, satisfying description that makes them feel comfortable in that world because that's the point is it's just shorthand. It's just a way of communicating um, some concepts and some ideas. But And I, I've been guilty of this. I mean, I've had this, this for 40 years now. Like, I, I think I've gone through every level of stupid with what you can take from these ideas and, and kind of run with them in directions that make things really kind of messed up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... I, can, uh, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know where I've taken that kind of information uh, really to heart um, and just uh, put up roadblocks um, mm-hmm. preventing me from doing certain things that um, may not necessarily have been as healthy for me. Um, I think about uh, diet restrictions that I had in the past where I just couldn't do this or do that. Um, so yeah, in some way, I, I guess I kind of understand how you're talking about the... Um, The whole thought process around um, this can be, for lack of a better word, constipating. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, that, that, or it can be a bungee cord that can get us sort of so far out of the reality of ourselves and our our lives that now we're kind of living in kind of fantasy excuse land.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure.
1: You know, I think the easiest way to put this uh, before we get into the terminology in kind of more specific detail is. I think most people are familiar with the context that we have a left brain and a right brain. Sure. So I would say English is a profoundly left brain language and Chinese is a fundamentally fundamentally right brain language. Hmm. Like I wish there was enough familiarity with Chinese in, in our conversations to actually like play with some examples, but I don't know if that would help people very much. But the thing about left brain thinking nowadays with science is you have to have not only correlation but causation to prove some kind of physiological process, Sure, evidence-based research. <clears throat> which from a, a rational scientific point of view, which is, you know, how the Lego of proteins and fats and, you know, calories work and stuff, of course that's the way to go. I mean, we have that capacity now. Why wouldn't you want to know what you could potentially know to confidently, you know, solve a problem? When you look at um, that Chinese medicine right brain thing, correlation is kind of fun but associations even more fun Hmm. and associations that are paradigm, um, fed, like, you know, the four seasons creating the five elements, creating all these other things that basically say nature designed a container for life. So everything inside the container should probably reflect the container. And if the four seasons are the crucible of our species, that probably is going to reflect something on the inside and you can run with that. And Chinese medicine tends to run not really far, but a bit of a bungee cord uh, into, well, let's just go with association and nature and then some other stuff with, you know, moons and suns and seasons and, um, Let me well, well, just sort of affirmations, but there's also a deep sense in indigenous cultures, in Chinese culture, a lot of Asia, India, um, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, That the fundamental thing we're actually dealing with is, you know, the kind of fabric of space time, the the fundamental ground of all things, not just human beings or not just rocks, not just dogs and cats, uh, space itself, and that there's something fundamentally inherent within all of this, that is the organizing moving force and or the memory uh, of, of how things are organized. And that that's actually the deepest possibility to heal is to go into literally the matrix of how your molecules are made and how they behave and how they remember themselves and nudge them around a bit. Mm -hmm. If that's with breath work, if it's with, you know, yoga, qigong, if it's with shamanism and prayer and song and, you know, smudge and feathers and sweat lodges and stuff and, and other things or just obviously acupuncture, right? So there's this understanding, you could call it a belief, I would call it an affirmation uh, of, of something kind of obvious, but kind of nebulous that, yeah, of course there's something underlying all of this that makes all of this, this, and we keep finding it every time we pop open a new layer of science and, and research. So I think we just have to keep going until we get to the rabbit hole in the sense of science being, this is how we describe it in science, which I'll try and do later. But, um, yeah, so I, I just want to kind of just, you know, play that out. Cause the people who are listening to this, who are primary left brain, for the next 20 minutes, are going to get a bit of a language lesson in Mm. a sense of what these terms mean and and maybe how they free us up a little bit. Uh, But uh, I'm going to end it off with a foray into some physics and quantum physics that actually kind of prove not only the inherent necessity of something that we could call chi, not as an object, but as a part of how all this works. But I'm also going to dive off a little bit of a, I don't know, theoretical diving board into quantum physics to actually explain an indigenous perception of reality, that questions the idea of the Big Bang starting the world in the sense of the world starts and stops, or the universe starts and stops, and a way of seeing creation as a cycle. Just to see if I can actually pull that out of my hat because I think I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, what we're going to get into, and, and and you know.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm curious to to sort of unpack the whole idea and I, I, I want to know um, what was really your motivation behind wanting to actually take this to this level uh, for this podcast? Like, is this relative to uh, something in the new year? Uh, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to just detract from the lesson here, but I'm just mm-hmm. sort of curious as to what your motivation is to actually want to point people around the, the idea. Of well, I
1: guess there's two. One is uh, as a communicator and educator, um, it's very enjoyable and, and almost giddy sometimes to come up with a, a really new way of sharing something that crosses paradigms and languages and, and things yeah. like that, that helps us all stay connected. I mean, it's here as a dog, let's stay connected, you know, left brain, right brain, you know, rational, intuitive, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and also I'm just excited to try and see if I can do that, but also, um, I really want to encourage people to try and get into these things just to see, especially if you're a real left brain, you know, give me the pill, give me the surgery kind of thinker. It's a what if thing, like what if sitting still or standing or walking or moving or doing these repetitive gestures or trying out a class or, you know, even following somebody along on YouTube just to see what it feels like, to see what these things are like, because it's the easily the deepest toolbox in my life is the practice of meditation and Qigong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll throw this out as kind of a quick infomercial, but um, there's going to be several Qigong training uh, courses available on, I think it's called Thinkific, uh, but if you want to find the first one, you just would type in dreamingelephant.org and that goes to the the first level of the, the, I think it should be 10, like, it'd be the equivalent of each course is about six months of training. Uh, so I've actually got an online teacher, a Qigong teacher training program launching in February, which I'll plug that too. Um, to get into that, you'd have to get a hold of me through my website because it's uh, kind of like joining a family. It's not like taking a class because it's going to be three to five years of, of big, big investment. So if you're just interested in checking out Qigong, there's a, a level one kind of thing you could just dive into. I think it's 150 bucks for like a six month course, which would cost you 800 bucks to take it at a you know a, a local you know, class wow. or something. Um, but yeah, if you're actually thinking uh, yeah, you have some Qigong background and you really want to like get into a, a lineage that's like 7,000 years old and um, really study it, you know, for years and become a teacher, uh, that's going to be launching in February. So that's happening too. But if you just want to see the the very first intro video, it's DreamingElephant.org. ORG, cool. ORG, yeah.
0: Okay. Um. You,
1: you. Have you ever done any Qigong or anything like that?
0: uh i had a roommate years ago who was into tai chi okay. who uh introduced me to a few moves and that sort of thing yeah that's it <laughs> did you enjoy it um yeah i mean it, it wasn't unpleasant but it wasn't <laughs> really, it wasn't anything that uh um piqued my interest enough to want to carry on with it mm. right um i was always uh, curious to see how her and yet another roommate who was she was in. uh a master, I guess, uh, instructor. Like she was uh, at a higher level. I can't remember what the designation was, if that's it or not. Um, and he was just a, a newbie kind of uh, instructor. And he constantly, you know, try to push her buttons. And she would just be standing there um, without even breaking a sweat uh, and just like, you know, doing the whole push hands thing. Oh, right. And, and keeping him at bay. And he'd be like, you know, coming at her with a figurative a baseball bat and she'd just be like poking him away with her pinky finger
1: yeah I've had that experience lots yeah both sides luckily
0: but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so that, that that's that's my uh, that's my and this mm-hmm. podcast today right. <laughs> is my experience with it so
1: so I'm just gonna change the screen a little bit because I I brought up some characters for people if I can find the
0: document I'm looking for and um, should we uh Preface that to the people who are just listening to the podcast. Uh, if you didn't already know, Michael and I have been doing uh, videos of the podcast. Uh, you can check those out uh, fusionhouseradio.podbean.com. You can see them there. You can see them up on our Facebook page as well. And I'm just madly trying to find this. So just give me a sec.
1: Um,
0: so I got that together. You can trim this up or not.
1: Uh, So I'm just going to move that down. There it goes. So I just wanted to put some characters up. Okay. Screen sharing has stopped. Fine. I will go back to screen sharing. Apologize. I can maybe edit that out. Yeah. Okay, so this is uh, what I'm looking at here, I'm just going to use my little mouse thing here, is the characters for Qigong as the practice of Qigong. So the one on the left here is the character for Qi, and it's technically described as uh, a picture of some rice cooking and the steam coming off of the pot. Sure. So that's what the so this little thing here is rice, and this is the steam, and you know this is kind of a character for a transformation that's happening. Yeah, I'll, anyway, I'll, and, I'll take your word for it. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, it's a, it's a habit. Um, so you can either decide that the word "chi" means something like vapor or air or um, cooked rice or other things. Um, and again, when a, you're an English speaker, it's very, very natural for that part of your mind, because that's how language works for you, to want to find the thing that fits in the right place, you know, round hole, round peg, square, you know, whole square peg. So if I say it's the steam coming off of cooking rice, the, what, the English mind is, is it the steam or the rice? Like, what what is it? What is it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: From a Chinese point of view, when you're using that kind of a character to, to describe terminology, you're just saying... There's something about all of this stuff that can change things. You put rice in a pot and cook it, it goes from this to food. You boil rice in a pot and this stuff comes off of the pot and it smells like this. And that's evidence that there's whatever happening to the rice that makes it go from rice to food. So this whole idea of transformation of things towards benefit, towards more, towards life, for people who've been cooking rice for 5,000 years, that that seems like a pretty good you know analogy for what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So we use the word, the the character that has that image, the pictograph with that image, to describe what qi implies about the world, about health, about, you know, nature, animals, everything. Right. Right. The word qigong there, just because it's there, the character gong actually means, it's a combination of strength and being very accurate. Right. And it actually would mean merit. Right. So when you're looking at the idea of Qigong, it means to act with a sense of merit or a sense of ethical purpose, or at least measured purpose, towards whatever it is that creates transformation towards health and life. Interesting. right? A lot of people just call it energy work, but the word for work, that, I mean, that, that's only half of the character, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm just going to adjust my camera here. So what's interesting is the term Qigong as a practice has only been around for maybe 150, 200 years um, to describe the practice we call Qigong. So I'm just going to do a very quick segue into this because I think this it brings up something really, really potent. Okay. So before the Jesuits came to China with some rudimentary science, uh, China had no idea that there was another way to look at stuff. But after they came in and started you know, treating people with, you know, their medicine even 200 years ago a lot of people especially in Chinese medicine were kind of fascinated well what are they doing what do they know what do they got going on and there was a guy I forgot his name it's been a long time since I've thought about this but uh, he was studying with these Jesuit healers and he was the guy who coined the term qigong because he actually started to get it wrapped around his mind that if there's microbes if there's infections if there's this sort of rudimentary science stuff, maybe that's what is implied by what's underneath of all this stuff. Hmm. And because he was getting into this sort of noun-based left brain thing, he just said, well, maybe we could call it this because maybe that's what's happening. Hmm. So before the term Qigong, as the Chinese yoga term would would have been used, it was actually called Dao
0: Yin. Dao Yin. And does it have the same sort of... Um... Uh, root translation?
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I bring it up because the meaning of Tao Yin is, for me, like it, 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 it forces people to shift their mind. So the character Tao, like, you know, we take the idea of Tao, like Taoism, mm-hmm. and then you add a little tiny piece to it. And I'm just going to use my little cursor to bring people who can see the video to it. There's a little tiny element underneath of the character for Tao. Uh, That just means an increment or a piece, a a measurable chunk, you know, a bite. Uh, In Chinese medicine, we use this little proportional measurement for people's body inches, and it's called a tsun, and the part of the character that we've added to that is called tsun. So when you look at Tao as an expression for the experience of living in creation, and the character Tao is actually the picture of a person with feathers in their hair, experiencing life as themselves, as a a self moving through the world the way indigenous people do. Hmm. Because that's Taoism, it's the indigenous culture of Asia. So you take the idea of Tao, your subjective experience of being within all of this, how whatever all this is, but this increment of it. Is is that a sad increment, a happy one? Is your posture good? Are you breathing deep? Uh, Are you alive or dead? (laughs) Are you moving towards uh, suicidal depression or are you crawling out of addiction? You know, whatever state you're in, that's the increment of everything you're getting. Hmm. And I'm going to zip over to Europe for a second. Uh, There's a philosopher called Meister Eckhart who had a quote that said, all beings come into being in a state of being. Mm. And the implication is, and your state of being inherently is up to you. Are you choosing, or are you reacting, or are you a victim to your conditioning? So this idea of Tao, in the sense of the increment of everything, we're all going to get what we get, and we can be passive and just take it, or we can be a bit of shaman and make it. Mm. So the character Yin, which is just below this, is basically a description of how processes happen right kind of like traffic so imagine going through traffic and it's got corners and corners and corners and corners and hills and valleys and switchbacks and stuff or it's a really nice gentle fluid ride or you're falling down a waterfall scared out of your pants so the character for yin basically means change happens in very wiggly and very fluid ways and sometimes it happens like you're falling off of a hill
0: and this whole idea of yin is more about um State, state, awareness, self, uh, reflection, very
1: present, potent state shift, huh? Right, because that's the practice. The practice of Dao Yin is shamanically to shift your state, to heal your posture, to heal your breath, your mind, to be as uh, ecstatically in reunion with nature and you know what's coming down from the sky and up from mama earth. You know, as as passionately and enthusiastically as you can, or you're just here to sit, watch, and measure stuff. Mm -hmm. sorry to the scientists i was just having fun (laughs) so to bring it more towards chinese medicine um in in the sense of uh how you can understand this there's a concept of what we call jang qi, right and i got this goofy cartoon i found like an hour ago (laughs) to one one to have the characters for people who just want to see the characters now they have this for the people just listening there's this goofy guy who's all happy and kind of a warrior protecting everybody and then there's this guy on the other side we call xie qi, which is basically pathogens. And in fact, that that's actually considered uh, from a very long time ago from the shamanic traditions, demons, or things that could possess you like demons. Hmm. right? So there's this concept uh, in Chinese medicine of something called zheng qi, and it's in the medical textbooks translated as anti-pathogenic qi. So now we have this stuff that's supposed to basically describe some element of your immune system. And now the idea of shechi is, oh yeah, some kind of infectious agent, something that could, you know, eventually weaken your immune system or attack you, or it's the mumps or it's smallpox or, uh, I don't know, H. pylori or something like that or uh, something. So we have that idea. And actually the character for zheng actually means to have resolve. Right. It's a picture of someone standing in a really, really good posture getting things done. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's also partially the measurement that carpenter, a part, part of the character is uh, the kind of tools carpenters use to measure things exactly, which is also a part of the character for Qigong. It's, don't want to get too far afield here. But just to say that there's this repeating kind of uh, affirmation in, in terminology around Chinese medicine that it actually ref, refers to your attitude. Right. Because if you're going to be in a state of chung chi that's better than being in a state of, I don't know, wait and see. I'm just going to keep having, I don't know, diet coke and potato chips because I can still talk, so I must be okay. Hmm. Or whatever. So there's lots of ways we can approach our health. And the idea of chung chi is do you have resolve? And there's kind of a feminine masculine sense of that. right? The masculine sense is like Clint Eastwood. Right. We're going to resolve this, you know, I gapped on all of the great one-liners that Clint Eastwood would have had to have basically said, bring it on.
0: Yeah. You know. In dirty hearing.
1: Feeling lucky fool or yeah. something, right? So that's kind of your, your overt kind of masculine, you know, cowboy version of how to pick a fight. Right. The more feminine version of resolve is let's negotiate. Hmm. So we're not going to get into this too far, but just the last image I'm going to show uh, is basically a map of how what we call qi production in the body happens. Right. And there's all kinds of different qi. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is something that I think is so fundamentally important to understanding the concept of qi because it isn't about qi. Because in in the Chinese language, the word qi is rarely, if ever, used by itself.
0: Uh, I'm just thinking for the sake of people listening in, uh, if they wanted to see these images that you've got here uh, that we're showing on video, um, maybe we could put them up with the actual podcast Oh Yeah, we,
1: we, we could actually put these photos up with the show notes just for people to see them. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, we all yeah, I'll find a way to make sure that each image is clear. We're not going to get into the Qi production thing because that's relatively kind of a mechanics thing. But I just wanted to get people a sense that you'll notice that there's no word Qi by itself. Mm-mm. Right, there's lots of different kinds of qi.
0: Wan qi, zong qi, wai qi, yin qi, huh, wow. Yeah, so there's
1: lots of kinds of qi. Uh, Oops, how do I get back to? There we go. Starting to get the buttons figured out. (laughs) So we're back. So um, very quickly, if I was to take the idea of qi as a noun, which is the point of this conversation, There's only really two times at which um, the word qi is used by itself in Chinese colloquially. One is to describe air. Okay. In the sense of if you don't breathe, you die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And the other one is actually a modern one for gasoline. Oh. Interesting. Right. In the sense of it's a potent source of mm, transformation. So if you're an English speaker, left brain, when I say chi means air, it is almost an instinct to want to put some air in a jar, put it on the shelf and say, there's the chi.
0: And uh, from the Western brain thinking, I'm just thinking that you're a crazy person and there's nothing, I mean, bottling air is kind of silly.
1: Yeah. But if air is chi and air is a noun, but you've put the air in a jar, now you have chi in a jar. Right. In the sense of, I mean, again, I'm really trying to just porcupine my way into the, or badger my way into the, the people who are completely unfamiliar with any other language or paradigm.
0: Okay. Because
1: yeah. sort of sometimes you have to like rub your face in where you're stuck before you can kind of go, oh my God, I had no idea I was stuck. <laughs> right. So obviously if I put gas lead in a can, it's a can of gas because it's obviously a substance. But the thing that makes it chi is it explodes as soon as you light it up with a spark plug. Right. Right. So when you look at the air thing, and this is, I think, a really nice entry point into what we're really trying to get into. The reason Chinese uses the word chi for air is because forever we've noticed that the quality of air or the sudden lack of air is what life is about. Mm -hmm. You're by a waterfall, you're by the ocean, you're in a forest full of big trees producing massive amounts of oxygen. The chi here is good, Mm -hmm. right? You go into a dank, humid moldy cavern it's the chi here is not good people go into this place gets chi they get illnesses <clears throat> so what's really interesting i think from a science point of view is we now know that there's a carbon dioxide and oxygen sharing cycle between plants and animals that makes the atmosphere the air like a verb right because it's airing if the air stopped airing we're all kind of like kind of screwed pooched right so that, that's that's that, the that, thing
0: that's a year of the dog reference <laughs>
1: Nice. But but that's the thing that usually kind of pops people's minds out of the, the noun kind of habit is the word she as air just means what chair what air does because it's airing. Mm-hmm. It's what air is doing. So it's an ing word. Right. So I'm not going to say the word she means ing, but it kind of can. So there, we saw those words on the the image like, uh, you know, kong qi and song qi and stuff. And I'll come back to one of them. But just to kind of clarify this, in standard thinking in Chinese medicine, you're often talking to people about their lung qi, okay. their zhong qi, their liver qi, their kidney qi, because we're talking about the health of that organ as expressed by its function in the body. You could even say qi could mean function in that way. Mm-hmm. But I like the word circulation and communication, because if I think of the liver and liver communication in terms of neurotransmitters and hormones and you know all the little uh, fun ch- chemicals that control how the cellular detox pathways work. Your liver chi on a molecular level of communication is essential to your health.
2: Hmm.
1: But it's measurable on the molecular level of hormones and neurotransmitters and detox triggering, you know, peptides and stuff like that. You could do the same thing with your stomach, with whatever. And then you look at circulation. Obviously, if the blood flow through your liver is jammed up because of fatty liver disease or some kind of tumor or what's called portal vein uh, restriction, then your liver has blood stasis because mechanically, literally, measurably, the blood moving through your liver as circulation is sluggish. So when we tell someone, say, oh, your liver chi is sluggish, you got two choices. The magic fairy dust of liverness is broken (laughs) or somehow the circulation function of my liver due to any number of other things is sluggish on a mechanical measurable level. Hmm. There is magic things going on too. It's just The quantum physics stuff not the normal biological health stuff Mm -hmm. although they're gonna obviously there's interaction with both right but it's to try and bring it to all of my science you know clinician friends it's just shorthand we're just talking about hormones and neurotransmitters and all the ways the body uses molecules to talk to itself in this great crazy family of organs and systems and 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 stuff like that and you know we could even look at stress g you know what happens to your neurophysiology and your hormonal physiology under chronic stress it's a measurable thing but we would just call it stress qi because that's the easiest way to think of it in chinese medicine mm mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense in chinese medicine right
0: yeah well i mean <clears throat> i mean as as you're going along sort of describing the whole thing it for me in my mind's eye anyways it's becoming a little bit more um, available Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, because again, dampness is shorthand. Dryness is shorthand. Mm -hmm. You know, all all those things when you, I mean, I teach a course, uh, so if you're a clinician interested in Chinese medicine or a Chinese medicine person who wants to get some continuing education credits and have some fun for about eight hours, there's a course I do once or twice a year. It's called Bringing Chinese Medicine into the 21st Century, where I literally take every term every single term in chinese medicine and explain its scientific uh relevance which pisses off some chinese medicine people because they want the magic thing to be real whereas most other people go oh yeah well that that just makes it easier to explain to my patients who don't want to hear the dampness they want to know what does that mean right because some people have no idea how to explain what that means Hmm. which is why we teach that course but anyway just saying that that, that's kind of the point of part of this conversation is it's, it's shorthand if we could get past the magic thinking Chinese medicine would have as much credibility as anyone because we just have different shorthand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. Um, And so uh, explaining that this is shorthand and sort of uh, bringing that whole thing into focus for people, um, how do you, uh, not how, what is it you wanted to focus on next?
1: Uh, Well, I just want to make a couple of other examples that are a bit more experiential. Okay. Just for the listeners who might be fidgety people who want to like feel something or move around a little bit um because i'm kind of like that i think you're like that too i'm totally like that (laughs) so if jung chi means to be in a state of resolve what would that look and feel like if you were to bring on that bad boy right now um so i'm doing it right now but i'm doing it because i'm changing my posture i'm changing my gaze i'm changing my spine i'm changing my you know the somebody came in the door, I'm already in a state of like Kung Fu, like not that I want to beat them up, but I mean like whatever's going to happen, I'm ready for it. Cause I'm in a state of profound present resolve, bring yeah. it on.
0: Well, I I think I was still formulating a response to that, but even before you said your description of it, it just made me think of um, uh, having something become in focus. Like when you're looking through a, a camera mm-hmm. and you push the button halfway down and the little lens goes, z- 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 z, trying, to, <laughs> trying to find that focus spot. Um, great imitation of the camera. it's that uh, it's like I, when it's focusing um, I'm focusing on nothing else other than that mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm totally focused on being focused
1: and what if you were to focus on not only your focus, but on your breath, your posture, your relationship with any canker sores that may still be waiting underneath of your mucous well, membranes? Or... and I
0: was going to go to that next. Okay. And depending on whatever it is I'm pointing the camera at, mm. um, I need to be aware of um, everything else that my body's doing. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm really uh, prone to uh, fidgeting when we're talking. And people will notice that if we're on camera here, they'll mm-hmm. see me sort of poking around and fidgeting and looking at different things just because I need to...
1: Mm-hmm. Got, Do th- got to move it move it that's right in order, <laughs> in order
0: for it to go in here it's gotta it's gotta work its way in. so um back to the camera thing for me to focus on whatever it is my body's doing in that moment um is really important because i need to make sure that i'm not casting a shadow on the subject or mm-hmm. that i'm not um making a stupid wincy face or that uh, uh that i'm not blocking somebody else's view like mm-hmm. I, I have to be totally present as to where i am in my body Uh, and how it's actually positioned in the world, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, so the invitation for the listeners and the fun thing about podcasting is it's always now, in this moment, it could be 10,000 years from now someone's aliens listening to us talking on some (laughs) microchip (laughs) or something. But so for anyone listening to this, 10,000-year-old aliens or not, (laughs) my, my invitation to you in this moment right now is to take a moment, even if you're driving down the road, and become aware of your mojo place you know, your pelvis, your lower chakra, your, your belly, your gut, your intuition, the place where we all kind of gurr and purr from and use that sense of yourself. Even if you're having a crap day to just let it sort of filter up into your diaphragm and just take one deep (sighs) uh, kind of breath where like, Mm -hmm. okay, even if for just one breath, I'm just going to like really suck into life and really feel my potency and really face whatever this moment is about with a sense of bring it on, man, like whatever, we're going to get through this. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's resolved. That's Jung chi. And it's a state. Yeah. So if you're practicing Chinese medicine and you tell people, oh yeah, well, we're just going to tonify your jeng chi and bring it to your elbow. Your phlegmy elbow. Your phlegmy elbow. <laughs> Great memory there. <laughs> um, you're not being inaccurate, but you're communicating in English some very literal terminology that could be very, very misunderstood and... Most importantly, leave your patient lying on the table going, oh, yeah, well, I guess I'll just lie here and think about my phone. Yeah. Instead of, let's get together, you and I, and find out how to bring more of you into this, because that's the point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I have one teacher, he said, um, for him anyway, at least half the time the treatment was over before the acupuncture began. <clears throat> Because they had had a really in-depth personal conversation and the person had shifted state in enough of a way that my teacher, who was kind of a Jedi, uh, had said he was very, very certain that person had made a decision internally that had changed their relationship with something that was going to heal them. Mm Mm-hmm. And he does the acupuncture just because he says, well, you know, the people like it, you know, they, they kind of like, well, they don't really like it, but it kind of like, you know, puts a puts a stamp on the, 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 the treatment. But he says, <laughs> most of the time he, he just counsels people into like making that one next better decision. And the acupuncture just sort of keeps it going. Anyway, just as an example.
0: I'm going to remember that the next time you pull out
1: your needles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really need to stab <laughs> me there? So So here's another one. And this is one of my favorite ones. So for the experiential part, if you want, you can put your hand right between your stomach and your heart. And sort of ask yourself, what, what is there in me? Like, what's, what's that place really about? So it's interesting, uh, in Chinese medicine textbooks, uh, they will introduce something called zong qi, Z-O-N-G. Mm-hmm. And it's often referred to as ancestral energy. Okay. And there's one paragraph because modern Chinese medicine has all the shamanic stuff ripped out of it because the People's Republic of China didn't want anything construed with religion or spirituality left in Chinese medicine when they rearranged it in 1972. So one of the most potent possible resources we have in Chinese medicine has been negated. Interesting. So here, here's to take this to the place I, well, I take it. In indigenous culture, when you're working with ancestors and because we're speaking English, everyone probably thinks there's a bunch of dead people in the room. And there's a part of that working with ancestral uh, energies, but really in depth of indigenous spiritual practice, when you're working with ancestral energy, and I'm stuck to speaking English, I'm not going to start speaking native languages on top of Chinese. I think it would just break people's concentration too much, but it's an actual practice of sitting And calling on all of your ancestors and all of their chutzpah or their mojo or their guile or their wisdom to be present in you because they're your ancestors. Whatever it is that mojo they had, they've passed on to you. But if you don't tap into it, you're just lost monkey, first generation walking around naked in the world going, I have no idea what the heck's going on. Mm -hmm. But if you drop into the memory and the experience and the, I mean, we can prove now that trauma goes across multiple generations and carries with it genetic information that can produce like PTSD or other disease, right? So what if we look at it on the positive level? There's something within you and we locate it right there between your stomach and your heart where you really have to dig deep in those really hard to make decisions to make the move, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, that's a practice, that's a state. Like when you're deeply connected to your ancestral resources, knowing that you have some pretty badass ancestors or you wouldn't have gotten here hmm. or they wouldn't have gotten you here that's you interesting but if you tap into it as a state that's you they're all you what's that statement from uh, movie gladiator russell crow what echoes a, what you do in life echoes in eternity hmm. right and that's a big part of Taoism: is to be creative in what you leave in the collective unconscious in the most positive sense of zheng chi this is how to adapt to the 2018 world. Are you adding to the collective unconscious of your future generations by your attitude and your act- actions, or are you waiting to see what happens? Hmm. Right. Cause this is when it kind of gets into the more warrior shaman side of the practice, which is it's, you're, you know, you're either on the front line saying, bring it on, or you're kind of negotiating and hoping it
0: goes, you know, away. <laughs> Or holding your breath and waiting for something to happen.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, we could take this um, very quickly to another couple of experiential opportunities because everything has chi, right? A change and influence, a transformation. So take a moment and focus on your breath and feel what breath chi is. You know, I mean, not a moment, take a month. T- take a month and work on all kinds of different breathing. Methods and exercises and see if you find one that is your, um, attuned, most, uh, charging up and, and helpful breath chi, because now you're just breathing consciously. What about smile chi? There you go. Big smile, right? You make different kinds of smiles and all of a sudden, you know, oxytocin starts moving around and you feel different. Mm-hmm. Kissing chi. <laughs> There's a lot of ways you can kiss people. Mm-hmm. Right? So all of a sudden we start realizing we are co-creators of, of what's coming into being. We just need to be a bit more conscious about it for it to be about what qi is about. Hmm. So <clears throat> another little bit of a shift in conversation and context. but um, So we have the idea of qi as an expression of organ function, as an expression of maybe what mitochondria do right? Still science, still rational, still left brain, but right brain shorthand. But we keep talking about state, right? So there's a saying in Qigong practice and martial arts practice that goes, yi ling qi, which means yi creates the conditions for whatever qi does. And yi is basically how you organize yourself consciously. Yi can be used both as uh, intent and attent like intention, attention. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of like the precipice between the two, the space of consciousness in which ideas form. It's kind of a part of our imagination, right? But not just imagination. So when you say yiling chi, you're basically saying mind leads chi. So of course I could take that to the Kung Fu level and say, okay, I'm going to hold up my hand and do some deep breathing until my hand gets warm, which is something almost anyone can do within two minutes right? So the mind is now creating a change in, uh, you know, obvious physiology, uh, because it's moving in a direction, it's leading it. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up is, and I could probably spend an hour just making examples is a lot of the times when we're talking about qi, especially in the qigong world, especially in the shamanic world, we're talking about yi. Because when you're talking about state and the discernment of state and the decision to create or change state, you're talking about yi. Hmm. which changes your chi. Because if you walk into a room and your Yi is, I'm going to be gentle, kind, compassionate, and really, really nice with everyone, that's the Anthony Chi you bring into the room. If You go in there and I'm going to poke everyone and make fun of them and joke, you know, cr- trash their New Year's resolutions or whatever like that. Well, that's Anthony Chi today, and you may or may not get invited to the party next year. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's state. Right. And this is where the the terminology gets, you know, and I'm not trying to be pedantic or too rigorous, like rigid, but I just think for the people who are interested in this and like to think about things like Qigong and the shamanic practices and the capacities we have to fundamentally organize our state, um, you're talking about Yi. So a lot of Qigong practices should be called Yi Gong practices Mm. because they're mind first and then, you know,
0: change in function second. The, uh, the whole idea of mind first reminds me of a, uh, a thing I read. Um, there's a series of Chinese grandmother wisdoms. And one of them is, um, and I guess all these wisdoms, Chinese grandmother wisdoms are kind of related in some way to feng shui. Um, what was it? It said, uh, if you want to change uh, something in your life for the positive, move 27 things in your house. Um, and the idea, as uh, as I understand it, is that if I was to move either furniture or belongings or things, um, like in my bedroom, mm-hmm. right? If um, uh, I've got a small uh, table at the end of the bed, kind of thing, if I clean that up and I organize it, um, I actually breathe easier throughout the day. But if I come into that room later on um, and it's a mess. I get kind of, is an anxiety or word? I don't know, not, not necessarily anxiety, but it's a little bit of kind of, um, I don't feel as, as whole or as stable because everything else is kind of messy. Um, and that is kind of an extension of like, oh yeah, if I take all of my receipts and I put them in a pile over here, that's great. But if I have them strewn all across my desk and if I've got my, laptop over there my headphones over there and i've got just junk scattered all over the place it's just a reflection of what's going on internally yep so when you talk about mind and chi um being kind of interchangeable that's kind of the example i see in my mind's eye where it's like my my physical state either externally my desk is the example or whatever however it is i've organized myself with my own thoughts Mm -hmm. can affect um how it is that i um Flow through the world or not?
1: Yeah, and that, that whole flow thing people regard uh, usually describe as feng shui. Yeah, right. the The way the energy of a, a system feels or uh, works intuitively, in that way, and just to affirm what you said, you know, your e response to clutter will affect your chi because e leads the chi. Mm-hmm. So you have a choice: change your feng shui or change your response to clutter. And I would suggest to anyone change the clutter (laughs) focus on the feng shui because that's proactive right right just deciding you're being i don't know neurotic about your room that's not chung at all that's just self-loathing
0: yeah you know so (laughs) yeah (laughs) or being lazy one or the other (laughs) well there I i think uh there's something um energy flows in uh directions where there's um it flows in a direction when there's least resistance Mm -hmm. um you know i picture a river flowing you know in a straight line down its course as opposed to a river that's got a dam in the middle of it right yeah and that's why that dao
1: yun character has that character because it's it's either going to be traffic jam or fluid river yeah but you got to be able to handle both
2: you know Mm.
0: So I guess what I'm saying here is you're actually making sense. Go on. Oh, (laughs) wow! (laughs) (laughs) And that's your job. So, audience of one, the
1: light bulb is on. Well, as long as you can, you know, restrain me from my unnecessary shenanigans, because we're going to get shenanigans in a sec here. Sure. So before I move into the kind of quantum physics thing, um, I just want to bring people's attention to something that has a lot to do with e. Uh, in the sense of mind, uh, and it has everything to do with qi, because yi ling qi, the mind leads the qi. And I'm saying the mind leads the qi just to make fun of people a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you do any research um, on kind of modern weird changes in medicine, we have this new thing called the heart torus, right? which is this electromagnetic bioelectric field that encompasses your entire you, organizes how your neurophysiology actually grows and how your neuropathways and neuroplasticity work or not, and also adjust, and there's some theory about this, so um, call this a hypothetical statement. The coherence uh, or the organization and capacity of your heart torus affects the uh, overall gate mechanics of every cell receptor in your body. So the more flow and coherent and present you are, the more fluid the transposition of nutrients and hormones and informational things uh, on every cell and every receptor. You got ninety trillion cells and a thousand receptors per cell. That's that's a lot of math. That's a lot of math. <laughs> Sixteen <laughs> zeros or something. You know. So <clears throat> you know, in the sense of flow of chi. Obviously, the more coherent or mechanically measurable a heart torus is, the more obviously the material we can measure with microscopes can move through the gates that we can measure with microscopes. So again, when we come to like the idea of everything in Chinese medicine to being about the flow of qi, in English that sounds like traffic. So I'm saying from a very basic sense of uh, what's called radiocardiology or the measurement of bioelectric fields, we can already prove the mind uh, can go through a whole range of possible possible, measurable states of coherence that affect downstream every physiological process you could make a list of. Mm-hmm. So just saying, you know, here here we have the shorthand ilingchi, and here we have, you know, a 20-page thesis on the heart torus and its effect on vortex surface tension in fluids around cell membranes getting peptides faster, which is a thing most people probably just said what but anyway it's it's just to say like we're we're looking at the the complete parallel description of reality mm-hmm. one's three words one is 20 page thesis to try and make it make sense but it's the same statement right right so i mean you look at curlian photography where they take pictures of people's state on a bioelectric biochem biomagnetic level um, you can see people who have a very small curlian kind of you know field effect and other people look like the sun mm mm-hmm. you know this is going to sound weird, but I did a Curly photography thing at a Qigong symposium, 30 something, 20 long old, oh, so old. I'm so old. Anyway, <laughs> a long time ago. And
0: um, is it time for your geritol? Yeah, there it is. So we need to take a break. Here? And
1: and um, they give you like a Polaride picture. And I just put it in my pocket because I just, you know, it's kind of a gaff thing to do. And it was at a big, huge Qigong conference. We're all having this giant Chinese dinner. And people were asking me because I was the youngest Qigong teacher in the room. And I wasn't Chinese, which made me kind of like an alien. Um, And someone looked at my picture. And then they all started passing around talking about it because it was a big ball of white light. And I thought when I had looked at it, I thought, oh, I screwed it up. Put it in my pocket. But apparently I had such good qi flow because at that point, and this is going to sound weird, but yeah, I was 26 or seven. I was celibate. I was a vegetarian, I think. At that point, was I? Yeah, I just about a year into being vegetarian, and I was training six hours a day and teaching six hours a day.
0: That would uh, account for that uh, picture showing up the way it did. Because I, I
1: had no distractions, mm-hmm. and I, it was funny when I was just to cap that conversation. When I was studying to be a Taoist priest, my teacher actually said, "You know, this stuff that you're learning is probably going to matter like when you're 40." And I was like, "What?" are you kidding? I'm dedicated to this. All I do is train. And he's just nodding with this funny impish smile on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wait till you have family. You wait till you have divorce. You wait till you have, you know, <laughs> debt. <laughs> then you need your qigong practice. <laughs> you so. wait till you
0: have podcasts.
1: Yeah, wait till you have podcasts. So anyway, I just wanted to bring up that little goofy story. But also that, you know, we have things like curly and photography and even more advanced things that can picture your heart torus and give you a sense of literally the shape of your
0: E. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you have uh, a lot of these uh, external references to um, quantify and qualify whatever it is you're talking about. But I'm looking at your notes there. It looks like you've been uh, doing a little bit of um, math on a chalkboard that's about, you know, 12 feet by 12 feet square or something.
1: Well, well, not quite.
0: but it it looks like you have some sort of a formula or idea in your head that you're, uh, you're wanting to share as well to help explain things. I'm
1: going to go through this for the first time in human history. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I did a semester of astrophysics um, at Queens university and I did three or four years of mechanical engineering, three and a half anyway. So I feel just for the science people listening to me, a sense of shyness because I'm a Chinese doctor, shaman guy and, Chicon guy instead of your typical, you know, PhD, but I do have a pretty deep familiarity with you know how this kind of math works. We're not going to do any math for the people on the podcast. Ready to run screaming and rip (laughs) off your headphones?
2: And
0: (laughs) he's saying that
1: just for me, I think. (laughs) Good. Um, But what I'm going to do is walk through just two or three sort of simple physics metaphors to try and bring our attention to something fundamental. And if I can pull that off. Um, it it may give people who are relatively left-brain rational an opportunity to experiment a little bit with the rational universe. Um, Because if I can rationally give you a sequence of cause and effect things that give you permission to play with what we call chi, as what we're going to learn maybe more about it, that would be honestly half the point of this conversation. Hmm. Because if I can convince any rationalistic left-brain science person to go... What if there is a fundamental thingy going on here that seems to be implied, but no one seems to be really chasing around? Maybe I'll experiment with that a little bit next time I'm in my yoga class, or maybe I'll experiment with that next time I feel really sad or, you know, I end up taking an antibiotic or whatever, because that's the point is to, you know, give people some tools and and things to profoundly change their mindset about what life is about. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to focus on your health, then you're not doing anything about how your mind frames your possibilities. You're still sitting and waiting to see what happens. So I'm going to do my absolute best to give people some rational hoop jumping, to give yourselves permissions to be
0: shamans a bit. And I uh, have to stretch that out to say that's kind of a purpose behind uh, the podcast in yeah, some way, yeah. to you know, shine a light in a whole bunch of different corners and help people find their way.
1: Yeah, because I mean, honestly, quantum physics is modern shamanism because they're just making up field effect equations to describe properties and I mean they're still down to 85% of it they can't explain, but they're they're happy with what they can. so cool, cool. Here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's going to be a kind of a terminology thing. There's a couple of things we're going to need to learn to just have the conversation. So the first thing is called surface tension. okay? Is that something you've ever heard of before?
0: Uh, yeah, science class, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, when if you have a glass of water, you see a nice calm uh, surface of the water. And when I poke my finger in the water, I break this surface tension in order to get beneath the surface of the water.
1: Mm -hmm. And that creates ripples because of the elastic nature of surface tension. Yeah. Uh, if you took your finger, put it in the water and picked your finger out slowly, you'd have a drop hanging off of your finger Mm -hmm. because the surface tension of water wants to be, that yeah like it's it's holding itself together which might be weird right right so then you look at say um, <clears throat> diesel oil okay if you put your finger on there and picked it up gross but mm. <laughs> it would be a much bigger drop because it has such a different kind of viscosity or fluid dynamic or fluid or surface tension mm-hmm. and then if you were to look at silly putty right you know you can put your finger in it but it takes a long time Right. you can squeeze it you can shape it and stuff like that you can stretch it out but it tends to fight back a little bit but it, it tends to play along and all of those things are what are called newtonian fluids newtonian okay yeah. <clears throat> um or newtonian reactions anyway and i don't know why they chose that term but maybe newton thought of it no because it goes into a direction that wasn't really to do with his math but that's what they picked so there's a new newtonian and non-newtonian way that fluids can respond to things um so the only way to to prove this is to do an experiment which people probably did as kids it's where you take cornstarch and mix it in water and the funny thing about that as a non-newtonian substance is if you hit it really hard it reacts as a solid
0: You can smash your hand into it, and smash your
1: hand into it, and it'll feel like you just punched a pudgy wall Hmm. or a bag of flour, or maybe a bag of flour or silly putty, basically, right? Right. Slightly different, but um, if you take a chopstick and put it very slowly into your cornstarch water mix, it's just like porridge, no problem, right? Right. So the response of surface tension uh, is what makes surface tension surface tension. It's the its reaction to to Gravity or forces and physics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So let's say that there's a scale of surface tension. Okay. Water is five, oil is ten, silly putty is a hundred, and uh cornstarch and water is on another track of the equation because it has a very different reaction to surface tension. Um, we're not going to call it negative surface tension, but we might call it surface tension, you know, T or something like that, where uh, it's doing something different. <clears throat> and it's really important to be aware that surface tension makes up everything, including the fabric of space time. okay And this is where it gets tricky because you would say that uh, if anything space, outer space has a surface tension of absolute zero because you can't get a response.
0: I can't stick my finger into space and then pull well, it out. There's no
1: drop going to hang off anything. That's, that's, that's where I was going with that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Because it doesn't interact with the world that way. Now, we could say it's because there's nothing there, no thing there. Or, from a physics point of view, we could say that the surface tension is either zero or potentially negative. Okay. Right. Now, to understand this part of it, we're going to have to take a deep breath and think of craft paper.
0: Okay piece of paper a whole bunch of little blue squares all over it
1: but it's three-dimensional graph paper
0: okay and
1: try to hold on to your hat if you're listening to this and if you're still listening <laughs> to this uh, and, and try not to take this too far but based on how fractal geometry works if you take any cube in your three-dimensional graph paper it has actually got everything within the entire graph paper has ever had within one cube and that's how the idea of fractal geometry works is the universe is the same shape and size across all scale of shape and size. The the, the the theoretical, you know, joke is, if you look at our solar system, it looks like an atom, right? In the sense of, you know, something in the middle and things spinning around it. If you right. look at galaxies, it's kind of like a solar system. Wait a minute,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: So there's this idea of fractal geometry, which is the universe is organized through fields and planets and properties and whatever in the same way across all scale. Hmm. So if that's true and you can take a quadrillion, bazillion cubic, you know, <clears throat> um, I've forgotten the physics word for really a oh, parsec, you know, anyway, big, huge space distances and stuff like that. If you were to zero in on one cube of that three-dimensional graph paper, because of how fractal dynamics works, you would see the entire universe within that cube. And then you'd go down to one of the cubes inside that cube and ta-da, you're, right. So there's this property of the geometry of the universe that means typical measurement of space and time are kind of stupid or silly or referential to living on a planet.
0: You don't get miles per hour in outer space, I don't think.
1: Maybe there's no miles at a certain point.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So The (laughs) the way we experience the world here is different than what you're describing. Yeah. So this is where
1: it starts to get a little bit, not woo-woo, but a little bit, hold on to your nouns because the way it looks in quantum physics is if you have a planet the core is super dense okay what's around it is really dense what's around it is really hot and messy and full of energy and and stuff like that what's around it is cooler and not as dense and then what's on top of it is growing like the planet earth so and here we go (laughs) when you're looking at the depth of the core of a planet where it's the most heavy per cubic centimeter, that's where space-time is curved in the most intensely because it produces the most gravity per volume. Okay. Right, and just hold on if you're listening to this and thinking I'm just going to go off on a bunch of crazy weirdness and this is going to turn into something really interesting. Just give me a couple minutes. Hmm. So when you're looking at surface tension, the way that fields and fluids and volumes respond to forces and stuff like that, we would say that the surface tension of a very deep, solid core material would be pretty, pretty low or pretty, pretty high in the sense of, you know, you punch it in, it feels like a rock. And you could say on a certain level, and this is where the shamanic part comes in, that whatever it is that occupies that space is deciding, deciding to be at that resonance or that vibration or that surface tension. Okay. Because, you know, it's this is where the, the chicken or the egg kind of thing happens is, you know, is that material twisted into that kind of uh, elemental um, material because of the forces of space-time? Or is it because it just wants to be that and it's turning itself into that because it's curving the forces of space-time into that? Okay. Right. So this is the idea. So there, there's, it doesn't matter who's deciding. It could be just boring, you know, gravitational physics over time, or it could be something more interesting. But <clears throat> what's important is that we can image in our minds a varying degree of surface tension or curvature of space or gravity in space or, or uh, some something that you can see. And it's obviously always changing. And any change across matter to a different kind of matter. Uh, fluid to steam or anything like that is transformation or is qi. So when you're looking at qi from a universal perspective, you're talking about changes in surface tension of the fabric. (coughs) So when you're talking about qi on a universal level, you're actually talking about changes in the surface tension of the fabric of space-time. And then when we think about chi as energy, obviously the more complex those changes are, the more dynamic they are, the more they can support of something as complicated as life, hmm. right? So weird as it is. The, the one of the biggest origins of energy is change of state from one kind of matter to another. We all know that from like nuclear bombs and you know power stations and stuff like that. Boiling water, steam. Yeah, yeah, boiling water. So I'm just asking people to kind of notice with maybe some tongue-in-cheek humor at the goofy things I'm doing with physics right here is to just say, wow, that's a really interesting way to look at this in the sense of the Western mind being so materialistic that we want it to be about something we can see as this changing into that, producing energy at an equation that is predictable. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of what I'm bringing up is energy states that shift produce energy states and energy for things that we can measure as sort of like, something it's freed up in a way that makes something new happen. I know not to get all Terrence McKenna, but it kind of proves the point of how the universe is just a giant novelty machine. (laughs) It just keeps coming up with new stuff Mm -hmm. and it seems to be drawn to do that. So when you look at Qi as a term in the context of the greater dynamic of planets and galaxies and universes and Big Bangs and all this other stuff, it's just saying, uh-huh. Yeah, that's kind of obvious that anything that moves through that three-dimensional graph uh, paper fluid and fiddles with surface tension is going to produce resonances and like the ripples in a pond outwards to, to affect other things. And that's kind of what is implied by Qi is there's something going on with the fabric, literally the fabric of space-time. And what's funny is the term in Chinese for meridians is jing which means the fabric of space-time. It doesn't mean invisible tubes up and down your arm. <laughs> <laughs> the characters literally talk about the weaving, the, the warp and the weft of the universe in reality. It's not tubes.
0: My brain is just exploding here with... Um... It's it's like, can you see it? Like the idea hit. Uh, I'm just
1: watching you do a different mm, kind of mm, fidget mm, and your eyebrows mm, are at that mm, place mm, when, mm. wait a minute.
0: (laughs) 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 Mind blown. That's really kind of cool.
1: That's really kind of cool, right? So here we are looking at a, you know, ancient shamanic tradition from Asia who's trying to explain what they can perceive and intuit about the universe with respect to eventually human health and a system of medicine which eventually got transported into a language that has really a different toolbox Mm -hmm. So we're doing our best with the whole thing, but it's a bit of a poop show when it comes to when people take it literally. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to throw on one last little tidbit to this, because as a person from an indigenous background who kind of likes that way of living in the world, I don't take any of it literally because it's not a literal language or culture, but in their way of seeing reality, it's a constant cycle just because they live in the constant constant cycle of the seasons. You know what's funny about the where the native culture I come from? They've never counted years. Hmm. It's this year. It's getting warmer. It's this year. It's getting colder. It's this year. We're hungry. It's this year. We're fat. Right? So for them, it's all about just deep life or death cycles, right? right. So they just assume the universe just keeps coming and going and coming and going, you know, forever. Because I, I, I can't, as a scientist, I can't... Like there's a block in me that allows the big Bang to happen where there was nothing to happen. Sorry, say that again. I'm going to ask this question and this this is like a Zen Cohen. so if it pops someone's brain open, send me the bill or something. <laughs> <laughs> so so here, here's a weird question. Where was the where of the big Bang?
0: Where was the where of the big big Bang? Isn't that kind of like saying which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you can't have a Big Bang without space mm-hmm. it can, or without a
1: volume in which it occurs. So for me, the idea that the universe wasn't and then was just makes me want to like literally giggle and fall on the floor and suggest the person considered cannabis as a therapy because they're taking the whole thing way, way too literally because that's such a, the math, I mean, I've done astrophysics. I mean, I, I know that. I don't know the math. I was 25 years ago, but um uh, I've done that math and the idea that we can explain all of the stuff that we can measure with math just means that we've decided to use numbers, symbol languages to explain what we can measure based on a theory, mm-hmm. which you can, that's the big thing, best thing about math. It's a, it's a language, like a fantasy language. You can make anything make sense if you can measure enough stuff and make an association with symbolic logic. And I'm a scientist. I'm not putting math down at all. I'm just saying we don't really remember what we're doing with it sometimes because we think, look at Eureka, we finally figured this out. It's like, yeah, I know, we made a machine to make the numbers we wanted to make with math. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the reason I wanted to like just bring up this last little bit is what if... Dramatic pregnant pause. <laughs> what if the surface tension of space... Without novelty is so negative that it draws into being whatever it is that the potential for things to come into being could be. Because from a like a Taoist shamanic idea of yin and yang and that kind of stuff, if the yin gets to its maximum, it will pull the yang out of its ass. Hmm. Right. Right. And that—that's sort of the point of that little black and white diagram with the dots in the of the other colors in in this, the larger colors is the nature of the universe is too much of any one thing will turn into the other. So imagine this volume of space, space, having a zero or negative surface tension. This volume of space is infinite and fractal and has nothing in it and is bored. (laughs) So it just naturally starts drawing into the kind of curvature membrane of those graph paper lines, anything it can. It's like being horny. I don't know. You're just like, and all of a sudden, boom, big bang. Hmm. And it could happen for infinite time. Cause if this universe runs out as we clock thinking mechanistic scientists can predict, so it's empty again, <clears throat> gets bored. Here we go. And round 597 or whatever happens to be going on. So again, that's obviously theoretical, playful physics, but it just brings up the idea that if we can loosen our noggins a bit and recognize that a lot of Chinese terminology is from an indigenous culture it's shorthand it's not meant to be literal and we can look at qi as just a contextual descriptor for what's really going on in the physical universe no magic thinking no fairy dust no unicorns then it's allowed to be a science and we're allowed to practice it as scientists and our patients are allowed to trust us as scientists we just use weird shorthand Mm -hmm. and if you're practicing qigong It's a state-specific yi gong practice for the most part. Let the qi do its thing. That's not your job. Your job is to be in the right state, or at least a less crappy state.
0: Hmm. It's interesting to note how, um, I mean, this is a health lifestyle and mindset podcast, Mm -hmm. and you've been rattling on about astrophysics and (laughs) space-time continuums and silly putty and all kinds of things. But somebody might turn into a shaman if they actually go,
1: yeah, that actually makes
0: sense. And uh, I think that the ultimate thing that I'm, ta- that I'm taking away from this, um, if I can just still try to anyways, um, how I pay attention to whatever it is that I do um, is affected by how I do, how I pay attention to how I pay attention. Like, um, I'm getting goosebumps. If, if I'm uh, present enough to know um, that I'm sitting here on the couch, um, I should also be aware of how I'm sitting on the couch, and if I'm aware enough to be aware of how I'm aware, um, then I can basically do anything with regards to my health.
1: Yeah, and that's the whole idea of fractal geometry and shamanism is you just got to figure out <clears throat> you just have to figure out the the state, the surface tension, and kind of the dynamic that needs to happen to produce what we call chi or transformation
0: mm-hmm. and you know sort of bringing this back to i guess the bigger picture um if dear listener you're still here thank you
2: <laughs> uh, like, thank you
0: for for people who uh normally tune in i think this is a you know a geek out with so like a number two above <laughs> a geek out squared maybe more than that um like a, a a practical application of how it is you talk about chi and energy and health and healing and all that sort of stuff ultimately um, comes down to our own sort of uh, attitude, our own sort of input around however it is we, uh, we monitor ourselves, how we take care of ourselves. It's not going to happen externally or it might happen externally. Um, but unless you're really aware of what's actually going on, you're never going to know. So, um, it it comes kind of goes back to those analogies you had before of, uh, the patient just sort of going, yeah, just give me the drugs, okay, uh, I don't need to know anything, just give me the drugs. What do I, what do I need to take here, and how do I, how do I need to take it, right? And just trusting in some 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 bigger uh bit of magic around health, um, where I would like to say that the perspective that you're suggesting, that we're suggesting, I suppose, with this podcast is to be more deliberate in how you. Or how one comports themselves mm-hmm. on a daily basis, um, and um, just know that having a uh, a perspective on things that's healthier affects your health positively. You don't ha- really have to know whatever. You don't have to understand chi or space time or any of that kind of stuff. You just need to know that that's there as a as a as a tool mm-hmm. of sorts, right?
1: And uh, the the reason I keep saying maybe everyone should just become a shaman is not referential to people pretending to be indigenous people and ripping off their culture. Please stop that. It's not polite. <clears throat> what I'm speaking to is a person who has become very dynamic about state mm-hmm. and very focused and determined to explore and perhaps um, I don't know align with and choose the states that are the most generative for what their needs are. Because that's what Qigong means, meritorious acts of transformation, circulation, communication, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that that's like such a hard thing to get people to unravel because, I mean, how many Chinese doctors have I sat with in my life, half of them I've trained, who are still deer in the headlights convinced that there's this magic unit of energy that science is too stupid to find. And here's something that I find fascinating and hilarious. And I wish I had an example with it. Maybe I'll find one for the show notes, but because I'm involved in Chinese medicine when it comes to social media feeds and stuff like that, every five, six months, there's going to be a new article that says the people in Denmark have discovered a new channel of lymphatic circulation that proves that meridians are real. These people in South Africa have found this new, you know, dynamic of neurotransmitter uh, flow and response across this thing that proves meridians are real. And then like you see, it just floods the acupuncture, you know, forums and Facebook pages and stuff like that, because everyone's like, Look, we're real, we're real, but we keep using the same unfortunately formed 1970s terminology of chi is a noun to moose through meridians, science is too stupid to find the tubes. But what's funny is when they find the new tubes, it's not about magic energy. It's about newly discovered pathways for fluid dynamic circulation or bioelectric circulation or neurotransmitter circulation. It's about stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for me, it's it's hard not to like kind of want to giggle like a five-year-old who's just discovered Plato. It's like, see, all of these people who are running their medical careers based on an affirmational idea are thrilled about the fact that someone's proving them right, but at the same time proving them wrong. Because they're saying, yes, we can keep finding deeper systems of microcirculation of stuff we can measure. It's not magic. It's not balls of light. Hmm. But having said that, as you discover, I don't know, I'm an avid researcher. There's this one guy, Dr. Cruz. I forgot his first name for some reason. or It doesn't matter. Jack. Jack Cruz, he's a mad scientist, crazy guy. He's an MD, but he's convinced that all mitochondria are dependent on sunlight. Hmm. And he can prove, the stuff he puts up on social media, I mean, I can barely get through it. The science is just that heavy. But he's proving that there is a fundamental use of light, they call them biophotons, that are actually the fundamental thing that people mean by chi. It just doesn't move in the exact way that needs to be described by meridians as the the little paint by numbers charts you see on the wall at an acupuncture clinic it's just a fundamental aspect of physiology so we're at the precipice of saying yeah we're balls of light it just doesn't require the traffic um the literal traffic dynamics of chinese meridians because those were added basically is mostly a way of describing how body people as somatic or embodied people react to the world around them emotionally or with respect to spiritual growth. I mean, meridians, it was kind of, I mean, they, they had dissected people down to the, the limit of human uh, vision 2000 years ago. And most of the meridians just follow nerve and blood pathways. And the associations with organs has got again, to do with more of a psychosomatic thing than, than your typical, you know, because why? why? Why is that lung meridian there? Why is the bladder meridian there? Like, why? How does that point do that exactly? Why? Why? And there's really no answer for that when you try and make, take it literally. But when you stay with the affirmation of the warp and weft, the fabric of space-time, the fact that this is more about e than she, if he leads Qi, if you stay in, change the state of a person's mind and being through the meridians being more about mind and body, <clears throat> that's what that is what affects the chi of the entire system. You're not, in, you're not improving traffic, you're improving state. Hmm. And, and that's, that's honestly where the 1972 birth of modern Chinese medicine into the world went completely sideways because they were absolutely insecure about their relationship to Western science and tried their best to make it look like something
0: science could get. Lost in translation. Lost in translation completely. Hmm. So where does that leave us now? I mean, after how long have we been at this? Oh no. Um, an hour and 40 minutes.
1: Holy cow, that's a record. Yeah. Well, it's a big subject. And I mean. Well, it is.
0: And I, I, I think it's uh, it's fitting that this is actually a conversation to start the year. Yeah. Because, you know, sort of getting back to our initial conversations of, you know, uh, resolving or um, being focused at what's actually going to change for oneself over the year.
1: Yeah. If you're going to, if anyone's going to get through their New Year's resolution, it's going to be with your chung chi, your resolve chi, because it's a resolution. Mm-hmm yeah you know and that's a state by the way and it's formed by e the g comes later just, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and away we go back and, and and...
1: yeah no, I'm, 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 good. I'm good i just made my point i did my physics dance i'm happy <laughs> yeah
0: um was there more that you wanted to explain or uh, uh unravel unpack today uh let me just
1: go through my scribbles so like, like i said this is the first time i've actually attempted to do this in english so
0: well, I'd say you did pretty good. I mean, I kind of understood what you said. And if I listen back to it again, I'm sure it'll sink in even deeper.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is just helping people frame that whatever it is that we see as material in the physical world is something floating within a 3D graph paper volume that has certain properties. And we measure those properties as vibration, resonance, mass, gravity, and stuff like that. But those, all those forces come uh combined to create atoms and atoms create planets or human bodies or you know food and stuff like that so it's this constant weird interweaving of what she is doing with the fabric of space-time hmm. or what the fabric of space-time is doing as chi okay because in in a sense one, one one person once said and this is probably the best way to wrap it up nothing in the universe can exist without what she implies Nothing can exist in the universe without, say that again, nothing in the universe can exist without chi, or more precisely, nothing in the universe can exist without what chi implies.
2: Hmm.
0: Right. Very cool. Yeah.
1: Because then it doesn't have to be a noun, because that's, that's
0: where people get stuck. Right. Right. Well, that's uh, one heck of a starting point to kick off the yeah, year. Welcome to
1: 2018. It's probably going to be a lot more. Yeah. yeah, we're going to be really be focusing in on the fundamentals of anti-aging and autoimmune this year, mostly. So um, yeah, it'll be pretty consistent about proactive things you can do right now to take care of you, your family, your friends, and your patients.
0: A little bit more down to earth, perhaps.
1: Well, just, you know, I'm trying to bring certain subjects into really just this, this is, you know, say, for example, why, say the top five irritants for autoimmune patients, like mm-hmm. not don't not only don't eat them, but exactly why? Because a lot of us now as educated people, you know, we want to be informed as to why, because that gives us the informational fuel
0: for the intention to keep going. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the Western mind is all about the why, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Wow. (laughs) You did it. (laughs) Yay. I'd high five you, but Hey, I can't reach it. A little too far across the room with our (laughs) new
2: setup. Uh,
0: You've been listening to and watching fusion, fusion health radio. Uh, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with that guy over there, Dr. Michael Michael Smith. Um, You can follow us on Facebook. Uh, We're there. And uh, one of the, I guess if I do have a resolution this year, is to actually amp up uh, the volume uh, on whatever it is I'm doing to make Fusion Health Radio stick to the internet.
1: Yeah, I think it would be fun to really just do a a really thorough series, you know, a weekly series. and just really give people that kind of support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And uh, Michael and I have been toying around with the idea of uh, Patreon.
1: Right, I forgot. Yeah, we're going to try and make that make the most sense
0: for people. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is an opportunity for you to support us financially uh, to continue with this. If you like what we're up to, um, then stay tuned for those details.
1: And that's usually for these things. I'm just curious. I just got into looking at it. That's usually just a few bucks a month, right?
0: Uh, it can be as much, uh, as much or as little as you like. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I know some Patreon, uh, so a particular podcast here in Canada, anyways, Canada Land. You know, mm-hmm. they pull in some twenty thousand dollars a month. What? Uh, but mind you, it's a twenty thousand uh, dollar commitment to podcasting. um with the journalistic integrity they have and all the different work that they do it's not just Mm -hmm. me and you sitting in your living room behind microphones (laughs) (laughs) a little bit different yeah um not as interesting in my mind Mm. politics right (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean that
1: i mean well, we'll see how that goes but i just wanted to ask that question just to make people comfortable with it you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, if, you, if, you, if you like helping out anything, it would be helpful.
0: Uh, Michael, if people have uh, questions, concerns, ideas, complaints, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, for me
1: specifically with respect to health would be my website, which is integrativehealthsolutions.ca. Great. Um, if people want to get a hold of us mostly with respect to the podcast, there's comments with, I think there's Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, and you know. then you can go on Facebook and if you actually have a specific question for me or for the podcast, if you want us to get into your particular thing, uh, just send us a question through the Fusion Health Radio Facebook page. Cause that's probably the, so far that's the most commonly consistent way people get a hold of us. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's easier for me to remember Facebook <laughs> click and, here. And,
1: and yeah, please, uh, rate and review, review, like, and share that whole thing, uh, just cause that's sort of the social proof of, you know. What we're doing seems to help.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to know uh, if you're somebody who's been tuning in to watch these things, uh, what do you think of them? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, listening versus watching. Is there something you like, something you don't like? Uh, let us know.
1: Yeah. Well, we still have to get our lighting just right because we both look a little yeah shadowed in weird ways, but Actually, <laughs> do I look get a little flashlight now? under your chin and look like a horror movie guy? Exactly. i got to do something with this
0: hairline too. Right? <laughs> get you a toupee. <laughs> Maybe we're... There we go. Uh, That did it. (laughs) Anyways, uh, folks, you've been listening to uh, Fusion Health Radio again. uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in all the way to the end. And uh, we will see you in the next episode, Michael. Good conversation today.
1: You too. And blessings, everybody. Have a great new year. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.